Welcome to the Herbs with Rosalie podcast, a show exploring how herbs heal as medicine, as food, and through nature connection. I'm your host, Rosalie de la Forêt. I'm an herbalist teacher and the best-selling author of the books Alchemy of Herbs and Wild Remedies. I created this podcast to share trusted herbal wisdom so that you can get the best results when relying on herbs for your health. I love offering up practical knowledge to help you dive deeper into the world of medicinal plants and seasonal living. My goal is that you'll walk away from each episode feeling inspired to start working with herbs in your everyday life. Each episode of the podcast is available on my Herbs with Rosalie YouTube channel, as well as your favorite podcast app. Transcripts and recipes for each episode can be found at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com. To get the latest news as well as fun bonuses, be sure to sign up for my weekly herbal newsletter. Okay, grab your cup of tea. Let's dive in. Mimi is a heart-centered herbalist who's been in service to the herbal community for a long time. It was an honor to sit down with her and hear about her traditions with nopales and tunas or prickly pears and their fruit, and to hear about her journey of writing her fabulous new book. For those of you who don't already know her, Mimi Prunella Hernandez is an herbalist and author of the National Geographic Herbal. With her wealth of knowledge, unwavering dedication, and genuine love of all things herbal, she has devoted her life's work to advocating for traditional and professional herbal pathways. For over a decade, Mimi has served as the Executive Director of the American Herbalist Guild, where she has worked tirelessly to ensure that herbalists have a strong professional community to support their work. In 2023, Mimi received a Botanical Excellence Award from the American Botanical Council, a prestigious honor that recognizes her as a Mark Blumenthal Herbal Community Builder. Well, Mimi, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you. I am thrilled to be here. I'm just such a huge fan of yours. And when I got the invitation, I was like, so happy. And I'm so happy to be sitting here now. Well, I have to kind of admit something that maybe sound a little weird or awkward to you. But as I was, you know, prepping for our time together and thinking about you, I was like, I think in my head, I know Mimi better than I actually do in real life, because we've met before. And, you know, we like have social media going. And then, of course, I know you because you're the executive director of the HG and all this stuff. And then I was thinking about it, I was like, but we haven't actually like hung out a whole bunch. But in my mind, like we have. <laughs> like, I think it's just been like that many years, you know, like a decade of just kind of like going in the same circles and stuff. So I was kind of like, oh, yeah. So within I that, know. like, I'm excited to hear your story and like your plant path and all of that, because right. like, I don't really know it that well. Right. You know, it's true. Like I have sat down with you a couple of times, but there was always other people around and I felt mm-hmm. shy. I don't know. I was thinking about the last time you were like, you know, we were out to lunch or something with other people. And I don't know, I was kind of still in my shy years. And, and yeah, so I but I have this whole imaginary world about you too, about like, your cottage <laughs> and your, your fields of flowers right outside your front porch and in the woodland nymph stuff going on. I just have this whole like imaginary world ab- about you. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll totally take it. That's funny that you say that too. I think if and now, if I think if we went out to lunch, I would feel shy just because like you're Mimi Hernandez. 
Well, it'll be a power lunch. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll take that. So I would love to hear about your story and just all the weavings that have led you here to us today. All right. Well, I'm glad. So, you know, it's hard to, hard to really pinpoint how I got here today, but I would say that my, my quest was multifold. You know, I've always had a deep passion for science. And so I was very much like a science fair kid. My first science fair project was like in second grade and it was growing an avocado plant from a pit. And it's been like plant science ever since. Nice. You know, so the science just like, which draws me into all that stuff, like anatomy and how the body works coupled with botany and things like ecology and even like bird watching ornithology that takes you outside. So I was like all over the sciences in a very academic way. But then there is also this like undercurrent of just like my family background and having like aunts and uncles and like grandmothers who were, you know, herbs were just a normal part of life. And I never like really questioned it or even took it seriously as a young person. I really was just like a fly on the wall that was like, oh, now she's doing that. You know, now she's rubbing this herbal thing all over her. Oh, she woke up. She's fine. You know, it's like <laughs> just like witnessing all these like healings that that my, especially my grandmother in Mexico would participate in because a lot of like the neighborhood children and, and moms came to her and so she was the one that she just always had like something in her cabinet that she was tinkering with was always stirring something on the stove and always just kind of talking to plants outside in the courtyard and you know I think that I took on a lot of that especially tinkering in the kitchen because you know it's it's been a long path of like am I this laboratory scientist person or am I this kitchen person and I found out pretty quickly in my young adulthood that I'm definitely a kitchen person because I cannot measure things. I just like, it's like <laughs> some of this some of that, and let's stir this in and taste it and more of that. And that quality was not really synergistic on the lab bench because <laughs> having to measure things to like the micro you know, milliliter, it was just infuriating to me. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, the kitchen kind of took center stage in my life from a very young age. I've mm-hmm. always been trying new recipes and, and cooking and being creative in the kitchen. So I think at some point I, with all the sciences, I was really drawn to do something like medical school because that's what they say when you're a real scientific, smart person, they're like, you should be a doctor. And I was like, I always knew that I wanted to go into some kind of healing. And I had just a lot of question, question myself personally about like, you know, what I really wanted out of that. Was that like an egoic kind of feather in my cap? Or if I really wanted to see, yeah, really wanted to, you know, be, learn about real world healing. And and that is, wasn't medical school for four or five, eight years, whatever they do. That's when I decided I really was going to do the academic herbal path. And of course, back then, what did that mean? What's the academic herbal path? Now there's lots of programs back then, back then it was like, you know, 30 
30 some years ago. And I was like, you know, I had that academic rug pulled out from under me because I thought, oh, I'll go to herbal medical school. And there really wasn't such a thing back then. And so at that point, that's when I was, you know, didn't go to grad school at first and decided to go hang out with the Amish people in Indiana because that's where I lived. That's where I grew up. Mm-hmm. And I learned a lot in a couple summers with Amish people of just really tending to bumps and bruises and cuts and, and things like that. And, and you know, sleepy time stuff and growing things and, and just like really simple Very things. Practical day to day stuff. Yeah. 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 But that was, you know, who I could find to teach me because at that point, my grandmother in Mexico had passed away. And yeah, so it was like that point in life where I'm like, all right, what am I doing? How am I going to learn this? And where, you know, and and wanting to be academic, but, you know, if you, if you got a bachelor's and you want to do like PhD or, or something, you know, you, and I ended up looking at all these like botanical medicine PhD tracks. And it was like, oh, you're going to study the pigment in the carrot for the rest of your life. You know, it was like, so like, like, so like honing in on, on just, you know, reductionist. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't want to study saw palmetto for the next four years. I want to study like all the herbs, you know, (laughs) and yeah, I did actually at that point found an American herbalist guild symposium. And I went, I actually, first I started doing like this herb, what is it? The Herb Society of America. And I was Great. like 20 yeah. years old or 19. And so it was like me and all these little old ladies and they were all like making lavender cookies and, and, you know, cinnamon cupcakes and stuff. <laughs> and there was one lady on there who's like, Ooh, we should go to this herbalist medicinal herbalist conference. And she had this VW van and I'm like, let's go. And we drove from Indiana to Georgia I went to an H conference and that was like really, you know, it's like, Ooh, I'm, you know, definitely people are doing this. And, and, you know, I kind of found that, that there's a lot of people into it. So. I just like, I love that thought of like young Mimi going to her first American herbalist guild symposium. And now, you know, you're 11 years, you've been the executive director (laughs) of the HG. I would I would never have dreamed that. I mean, that was, I, I still talk to that lady too. I'm like, can you believe I'm now in charge of that organization that, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I got there. I remember like kind of being really overwhelmed because I'm like, oh, this is exactly everything I was looking for. And then like, I went outside, it was very overwhelming. I'm a very emotional person. I went outside and sat on a rock and just cried. I'm like, oh, yes, you know. Yeah, because, you know, ironically, because I did have the academic degree. So I was working at a company called Dow AgroScience. And it was like, this is like some hardcore plant research stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was doing this, uh, working on this research project where they were studying the DNA of tobacco plant. And that was a cool project. And then it ended. And then they reassigned me to this greenhouse laboratory that was working with Roundup. And like, literally, we were testing like, like these chemicals on weeds. 
And that's when my heart was like, I cannot do this. I cannot. So I got that whole like plant consciousness type of like this wall came up in me. And Mm. I was just like, what? (laughs) Yeah. Wow, that's so interesting. I did not know that as part of your background. So yeah, that's yes, fascinating. I'm not. I saw, yeah, no, I saw a lot of interesting things of, you know, working in, in my lab science days. And I did, you know, also did some work at University of Wisconsin in their nutrition lab. And, and you know, I still love science. And it just, I wanted it directed into like a different way. And in a kind of more overall way where I could learn about a lot of plants Mm-hmm. Oh, I keep, I'm really excited to talk about your book because it this seems like a great segue, but I'm going to hold off and just follow the formula of the podcast and let's talk about prickly pear. I'm really excited you. that you chose prickly pear as your herb mm-hmm. because it is such a fascinating plant. Yeah. With so many gifts. So I'd love to hear from you about prickly pear. Oh, okay. Yeah. I chose prickly pear cactus. It's definitely, I mean, First of all, in the kitchen, it's so versatile. It's a food that I grew up with, with my Latin American roots. It's actually, you know, we call it nopales or nopalitos, and we have it for almost every meal. It's kind of our garnish to everything. And and the fruit is really delicious. It takes a lot of effort to get into it because of all the little spines and all the prickles and so so it's kind of a labor of love, but once you're into it and got either ju- the juice or the pulp, then there's like so many, you know, fun recipes, just a really beautiful flavor, especially I live in North Carolina in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains, and it's just phenomenal to me that it grows native here in this area. I've got a big stand of it here at the Ponderland, and it's just like, I have a love affair with it and I'm still, you know, it's still a very respectful thing because I can't just go grab it. My son does go up and grab it. Like, like he doesn't care, but I won't do that because it hurts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This is not like a stinging nettle hurt too. This is like, you get those blockheads in you and they're like, they keep coming back. Well, they stay there. They stay embedded. Yeah. They're sneaky and almost microscopic. But yeah, no, I I love, first of all, I love the flavor. I, I love, you know, making the salsa with it and everything. As an herbal medicine, I'm like very intrigued in the, in the Mexican diet. There's a lot of, I guess, propensity for diabetes type 2, in not only in Mexico, but in a lot of Latin American countries and in the Southwest. And so it's just amazing that this like cultural indigenous food is really helpful at preventing that postprandial glucose spike, according to some research. And some of the research is really fun because they really are eating a lot of Mexican food like chilaquiles and enchiladas and chiles rellenos. And then they're like, so like give you a big authentic Mexican food and then they give you cactus. And so, you know, it's, it's a really just beautiful even just as a beverage, like I like making the green cactus smoothie. I like juicing it. It's just so refreshing. But I really love the fruit. I'm like so in love with, mm-hmm. with the fruit. I was, I was recently in Austin 
and you know there's not like prickly pear things where i live here up north i'm almost you know by canada and down in austin it was like i you know i went into like health food stores or even just restaurants and there was like so many like if it had prickly pear some kind of prickly pear beverage i just got it every single time mm, yeah because i was so excited you know just like the ubiquitousness of it yeah and then you know since i've had a patch here it's just been really cool to tend to it and then like mm. see all the seasons around it because the flowers are gorgeous. I mean, they're just yeah. so beautiful. And it's just, just like nothing else that grows around here. It's just such a, so precious to my heart and just such a beautiful food and, and medicine. I don't know if you would know this, Mimi, but as you're talking about just how popular it is in Mexico and as we know, you know, all over where it grows, are there like prickly pear cactus farms or people cultivating it? And especially because when you buy it in the store, it comes off in process. Like they've removed the spines and the mm -hmm. glockids. And so I just imagine like there, obviously there has to be some kind of production around it, but I've never mm -hmm. thought of like prickly pear cactus farms before. There are, there's a couple that I know of, even like in my region that, you know, I, mm -hmm. I don't know them by name, but I've, I've seen a couple of, you know, just have noticed, I don't remember even where, but I would look it up. But yeah, no, I, I do. I'm aware of a couple of places that were like, just starting some cultivation. So I wouldn't say like big farms. But yeah. I mean, it grows where it grows wild, it grows pretty abundantly. And mm -hmm. out here in North Carolina, even like toward the coast, it's like all over the place. But yeah, no, I definitely could see the fruitfulness of growing it, <laughs> you know, and, and cultivating it because, you know, there's, there's beautiful products that can be made from it, value added products and jams. Like I love the prickly pear jam that I've got right now. I made a bunch because I just got married. And, and so we did a lot of homestead foods mm. and prickly pear was real center in a lot of my recipes for the wedding. So I've got, you know, a couple jars oh, of lovely. jam in there. It's so good. Mm. I just... am definitely of the philosophy that pink makes everything better. Like, <laughs> And so I feel that way with prickly pear and hamica or hibiscus mm. that, you know, those are, I love making medicine with them because the, the color is so amazing. It's so brilliant. And then it's like, you know, really trendy too. And like these really expensive bars where you can have the martinis and, and things like that, but it makes such a beautiful cocktail too and mocktail. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I just love that. So, so far you've talked about prickly pear as a food and as medicine, especially for postprandial glucose spikes. And it seems like we should maybe mention that it, it's kind of demulcent. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I think of that, you know, when it's I think very of very slimy. Yeah. I mean, you know, so there's of course the outside, which is a little daunting and, and I, I use my gloves and tongs to, to pick the the pads the young pads you know ideally we want the the pads that are like the spring growth because those are the tenderest the most tender and the most flavorful and so i would pick those young pads or the fruits which the fruits are just stopped fruiting so we're thinking like late october for fruits and maybe like june for the the spring pads and yeah so after you cut into them it's very slimy the, the pads are very just 
kind of like aloe, just thick and mucilaginous on the inside. So it's interesting because if you get the prickles on you, then you just use the poultice of the inside <laughs> of the pad to, as a drawing poultice to pull it out. Very kind. Of slime. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I thought it was interesting in your descriptions that, you know, when I've prepared it, prickly pear like from the earth so I'm the one that's prepping doing all the prep I've done the burn method like use tongs put it over open flame and you know let the things burn mm -hmm. off and mm -hmm. you also mentioned like rubbing it off with sand rubber mm -hmm. gloves and sand which I thought was interesting yeah that's how I do it because okay. I like to just kind of sit on the porch and and you know I've got my big sink it's like a big like bucket of of sand and I've got my gloves. I'm just kind of sitting there and chit chatting with whoever's here. Cause usually there's someone here cause it's a big job to bring in the cactus, you know, the tuna, we call them tuna, but it's just, you know, yeah, I just sit there and I'm scrubbing and toss it in the other bucket and then scrub and toss. Mm -hmm. But you know, for me, like fire is not, I feel like it wouldn't be as efficient with me. I'm, I'm not not saying that I'm not into fire. It would just be a whole different thing. Like, then I got to make a fire. Well, I know some people use the little torch. Like, I don't know. I'm not a torch. Like a bull torch. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. very water, sand oriented. <laughs> Love it. I see other people being drawn to fire, mm -hmm. the fire method. But yeah, you know, the fire methods also, I've, I've heard it's really effective. But mm -hmm. the sand, you know, the sand method was... Like, I've never had to try anything else because it just works. So, yeah, no, I'm very curious. Now I want to try that. Mm -hmm. oh. Well, the recipe that you shared with us is absolutely gorgeous. It has that hot pink color that I know and love. And I, I love how versatile it is, too. And I haven't tried it yet, but I plan on it. And I love the additional herbs that you put in there, too. So will mm -hmm. you share a little bit about that recipe? Sure. Yeah, actually. And that came about because usually when I'm doing the prickly pear tuna, the fruit, I am going for the pulp. I'm either scooping pulp out or I'm juicing it because it juices pretty well. But then you're left with this huge like sludge of seeds that have a lot of substance all around them. The seeds are like pebbles. So what the way it started is I just put all that. I'm like, what am I going to do with this? And I put it on a jar of vinegar, killer vinegar. And I was just amazed at the color, but also at the texture because the vinegar became very like viscous. Mm. And so it just had this very soft velvety feeling on the tongue. And it was just such a beautiful flavor. And so now every year I also do the infused vinegar, but I have, you know, the time of the year is also the time of the year that I harvest lemon verbena and mm. lemon verbena is a South American plant that I have a lot of kinship with and it grows in my herbal spiral garden. And it's just, I just felt like the flavors, I mean, they're both like Latin American fusion flavors, but they're, you got this like tropical and this very kind of aromatic citrus. And it's just so, they just meld so well together. Hmm. And, and so I decided to combine them and it's just such a great, it's just so delicious. Now it's like aromatic and beautiful fuchsia pink and, and then it has texture and then it's just, it's just beautiful. And I like vinegar a lot. So I have probably have vinegar every day somehow, you know, either on salad mm -hmm. or greens or a spoonful. And, and so, but it also, because it's, 
in like it's October, right? When I'm doing this every year, it's kind of perfect timing for holiday packages and, and festivities mm-hmm. and you show up to potlucks and you've got, you know, I've got the big bottle of this fuchsia vinegar and it's just, so, oh, I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really yeah, good. I love vinegar so much. It's one of my most, I, I just strained off almost three gallons of Hawthorne vinegar and we go through it, mm-hmm. you know, in a year. I I just love it too for all of the things you mentioned and as a drinking vinegar too so Uh yeah yeah yeah. wonderful thank you so much for sharing that recipe Mm -hmm. with us is there anything else that you'd like to share about prickly pear oh I mean just you know yeah I can't wait to just for people to try it, you know, definitely if anyone tries it, I'd love to hear your, your impressions of it. I have a whole, you know, on my, just called Prickly Pear Cactus Adventures. It's just an album on my Facebook page, but it's like, because I have so, it's just messy too, right? So there's that, you you mentioned that's very mucilaginous. And so if you're, whenever you open one, put it in the juicer. I mean, the whole juicer is like overflowing with slime. So you can't like, you know, you can't avoid it. Very messy. It's definitely something on you do on the porch. I also make a colonche, which is a traditional Mexican mm-hmm. recipe that's fermented prickly pear fruit juice. So mm-hmm. it just kind of tastes like wine. It's it's really no, delicious. that sounds lovely. Wine with legs because it's still got that viscosity. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for sharing about prickly pear and just your traditions around this plant. I love that. This really is just something that is a part of your life and something mm-hmm. that you work with all the time and just have these seasonal traditions with. Mm-hmm. It's lovely. Well, I'm really excited to talk about your book, Mimi. Mm. I don't know what I was really expecting with this book. This is the National Geographic Herbal mm-hmm. and just published recently. And I don't really know what I was expecting because I knew it was you. So there's, you know, uh-huh. that expectation. But it's also like, oh, National Geographic. Like, what kind of book is that going to be? I've seen their magazines about herbs and stuff, you know. Yeah. And I am just blown away by this book, really because of you, right? <laughs> I love, first of all, there's 100 herbs mm-hmm. in this hardback edition. It's beautiful. But the writing is just so great. Like, when did you learn to write like this? <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, I just, because I'm never really considered myself much of a writer aside from, okay, scientific writing back in the day, but there's, you know, that's all citation after citation after, okay. And then I had like, at some point I've done a lot of music, I've written a lot of music lyrics and, and things like that. I've got a lot of music com- community locally. Oh, interesting. And so I think that kind of brought out a more like poetic, meaningful way to communicate. Hmm. But in terms of like writing about herbalism, I haven't done a lot. I was always a, a lecturer. I was always a, te- a verbal teacher, which is something mm-hmm. that, you know, even like in Latin American herbalists are more like we're talking about it. We're just going to keep talking about it. We're going to bring you to our kitchen and keep talking about it. So when I had to like sit down and and write about it, it was definitely a lot of like setting ritual for myself to let the words come. I would sit and just kind of write everything I knew about a plant, just free form. And then kind of talk, think about what, why I love the plant 
you know, because that really comes through. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's, it's always like I, I want because because, you know, it's, it's National Geographic. So there's an assumption that this is going out to general public and a lot of people that don't have this love affair with plants like we do. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to open people's eyes. And, and there was a lot about, you know, the, bringing in the senses and, and also not just the senses, but also bringing in the herbalist experience, because I feel like with a lot of reference books like this, that they forget to mention that herbalists are out there or that herbalists use these and herbalists know these. They just kind of talk about plants without talking about herbalists. And so that was really important for me to make sure that I was talking about how an herbalist would use this plant or how a wild crafter would work with this plant or how a clinical herbalist or a kitchen herbalist or, you know, a, a woodland herbalist and, and, you know, just like, like different ways of relating to plants. And of course, I'd mentioned researchers and, and doctors here and there, but for the most part, I really wanted, you know, people who pick this up to, to know that it's from the lens of an herbalist from different in, in, in many different contexts. So mm. that was really important ethos to me. It really comes through. And I think that is what sets this book apart from other kind of like compendiums, like you said, that are, don't take in that herbalist perspective because you have a hundred plants and each plant, as far as I can tell, I've read a lot of it, but not all of it, but pretty much all the books, it's like what two pages, right? Yeah. These front pacing pages. Mm -hmm. And that could easily be filled with facts that could be like one ear and out the other. And I think a lot of books like this are, right? They're just these like quick, like facts, like this, this these are the uses of this herb and they're just almost like list-based or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's just no magic to them, but your book doesn't do that. Like your book, just the writing of it is very inviting and you share so much information in a short span of time, but it's so readable. Like it's not, you know, over the top heady, and like you said, you often talk about herbalist experience from all over the world too. And the sidebars have been so fascinating to me. Like I've learned so much about plants, like the flax drink of Peru. You know, I didn't know about that. I didn't know about the spilanthes leaves being used oh, in a soup. Soup in Brazil. So there's just like so much, you know, Dr. Tiarana Lodog wrote your introduction, as you know. And in it, she says that herbal curious, like from the herbal curious to the experienced herbalist will love this book. And I 100% agree with that. I think somebody could pick up this book just being like, oh, you know, what are plants good for? And mm -hmm. they would get so much out of it. And I'd like to think of myself as somewhat of an experienced herbalist. And I love it. Uh -huh. I love it. I absolutely love it. And, and two, it's, you know, there's all these herbs in there. And then there's like these kind of like little breaks in it where you have like herbs for the skin or uh -huh. you talk about energetic herbalism or you talk about different herbal preparations. So there's a lot in there. It's not just a list, which would be plenty because again, there's so much fabulous information in here about the plants themselves, but just also about herbalism mm -hmm. and herbalists. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is truly like an herbalist's herbal, this book. Yes, yes. And I just, you know, also wanted to point to different traditions and, you know, remind people that the, you know, this wisdom is seeded from different parts of the world, from different habitats, from different traditional people, indigenous people, just all over the world. And so I didn't, I wanted to make sure there was that kind of 
cultural context with the way we're looking at things and and so yeah that was that very much comes through too like like the cow chapter the spilanthes again mm-hmm. yeah there's yeah just so many things i couldn't praise this book enough and i yeah woodland herbalism <laughs> and this is like one of those books that i will keep it on the coffee table but not as like just something that looks pretty but something like i want to have readily at hand because it's so readable like it's mm-hmm. not just a lookable it's a readable yeah. and yeah yeah, I just, I love it so much. Well done. I can't imagine like that's a, a lot of work I know to put out a book like that. And yeah, it's just absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, so much, especially coming from you because your books are so beautiful. Oh, thanks. <laughs> well, Mimi, I would love to hear about the question I'm asking a lot of people in season 10 is about their herbal teachers beside, apart mm-hmm. from the plants. I already told you that I I have a specific request in mind because I know you have a lot of herbal teachers, your mm-hmm. abuela, and many people along the way. But I would love to hear about James Duke because mm-hmm. that is someone who I was never able to meet and someone who is just such a beloved person who's done you know, so much for the herbal world. And so I'd love to hear from you, just a little homage to, uh-huh. to Jim Duke. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, he definitely was the person that changed my life and put me on the right path in terms of, so I told, I told y'all we went to this HG conference. Well, before that I was a big Jim Duke groupie, like in terms of like reading all his books and his articles. And there was just something in the way that he described plants that was just so kind of upbeat and uplifting. And, you know, and I have to say, I also, this is real curious because I'm, my family's Colombian and I understand that, you know, he's like a Southern white gentleman, but he, in some ways, opened my eyes to ethnobotany of Colombia because he was doing studies in the Amazon and working with indigenous folks in the Amazon for the, the USDA and to do, you know, study some of the, the cultural plants there. And so that was a, such a passion of mine because I still have family in Colombia, but they're not like taking me to the Amazon to like look at the plants. They're more like in Bogota in the city, you know, so, so it was like interesting. So then, you know, with that context, he also has written books and his books have been translated to Spanish. And he even wrote like a book about like Spanish lexicon of like, you know, kind of some interesting and curious words in Spanish. And I don't know. So then it ended up being like a family thing where my mom and my aunt and, you know, we were all like reading his Spanish books and, and stuff. And and so, but when I did was at the AHG conference, I met a couple of people there who were going to this grad school in Maryland. And that was tight. Ty Sophia at the time. And Kevin Spellman was one of these people, one another teacher of mine. And, and he's like, yeah, so James Duke is going to be one of the faculty persons there. They're starting a whole botanical program and, and herbalism. And I didn't even need to hear more. I had a little baby and I was like, we're leaving, we're moving. I'm quitting that agro science job. And we're going to pack it up, move to Maryland. And it was probably, I was probably there like three months later at like the foot of Dr. Duke, just like 
listening to him sing songs about plants. He had like a little ditty about like every plant. Hmm. And then I just kind of became his shadow. I was like working in his, his gardens, the green pharmacy gardens a lot, learning like with my hands in the dirt and helping him. And, and he always had like a soup. He, every time we had a crew at the gardens, he just had like kind of this outdoor area where he would make a big old pot of vegetable soup with fresh <laughs> herbs. And so he was like, and, and that to me was something that really spoke to my heart a lot because it's that kitchen herbalist, you know, thing that calls to me, which is like how I first got into herbs. And then my teacher, who's probably one of the most scientific people I've known, because he will talk jargon. I mean, he will talk very scientifically, you know, he's a very brilliant scientist, but he also had this like kitchen effect and, you know, feeding people and, and exploring these flavors around the garden and, and, and so, singing songs too. And singing <laughs> songs. Yeah. And so, and we've yeah. sung, you know, I was like, I've got to sing songs with him on stage. It's probably some of the most beautiful moments of mm -hmm. my life singing about Appalachian plants and singing about ginseng and, and, you know, just these fun songs. And he, you know, I've got his trunk because they gave me a bunch of his like tapes and, you know, I've got like a bunch of his like old books and I'm like, what am I going to do with all these? Because he made a, he made a recording called the herb album or herbal bum. It's like, depends on how you speak how you say it he he had a cd that came out and saw his like little his songs that he used to play the fiddle and just sing these songs directly to the usda and the research and the people in power about you know the the importance of plants and, and simple remedies because mm -hmm. so, yeah he's like just such a loving loving gentleman and his wife peggy beautiful union because she was the illustrator of all his books so she also was a very special connection for me and mm -hmm. yeah i miss them dearly yeah oh thank you so much for sharing a bit about them both and yeah just what a character he <laughs> was you know and i just love that he really held that space of communicating to the usda and being able to go in with the scientific jargon while also being so deeply rooted with the plants mm -hmm. themselves in the mm -hmm. garden and feeding and music. And yeah, it's beautiful. And he knew, he knew that I was going to write a book, you know, it was several years after he passed away that I did, but he used to always tell me, he's like, I'm going to write your foreword. And mm -hmm. that was like, so in a lot of ways, like when this book came out, like I, you see, I wrote about him in the intro to kind of, mm -hmm still weave him into the story. You know, I can't think of anyone, you know, Dr. Lodog is, is such a blessing that, that she stepped in and did the forward and, and did such a beautiful, beautiful work with that. But yeah, it, it took me a long time to be able to like sit and write. And so, yeah, but I kept hearing like his voice of reassurance during that whole process. Oh, how beautiful, Mimi. Thank you. Well, Mimi, I'm walking away from this thinking you are a manifester of your dreams. You know, you went from being like herbs are it to going to an herbal symposium to becoming the director, executive director of the American Herbalist Guild and just all your stories of like, I knew this was my path. And then I found Ty Sophia and three months there, I was there with my babe yeah. in arms. Mm -hmm. I mean, you really are a go-getter and just a manifester of your dreams. And mm -hmm. I'm so glad that 
you said yes to this dream of the book with National Geographic because it's just like it's an herbalist's herbal and yeah, your passion and love for plants and all of that you brought, you know, the traditional plants and in there's science in there. <laughs> there's the herbalist perspective. I mean, just has everything. It really feels like, I think that's what it was like reading the book. I feel seen like, oh yeah, like this is my life here in so this awesome. book. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your gifts for all that you've done with the HG for the past decade for the book and yes, all of it, Mimi. I'm just, I'm very impressed with you and grateful for your work. Well, thank you. Well, we'll have that power lunch someday soon. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks, Mimi. All right. Thanks, Rosalie. Thanks for being here. Don't forget to head over to the show notes at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com to download your beautifully illustrated recipe card and to get a transcript of this show. There, you'll also be able to sign up for my weekly newsletter, which is the best way to stay in touch with me. The best way to check out Mimi's offerings is on Instagram at Mimi Prunella Hernandez. I also highly recommend her book, The National Geographic Herbal 100 Herbs from the World's Healing Traditions. You can find that wherever books are sold. If you'd like more herbal episodes to come your way, then one of the best ways to support this podcast is by subscribing on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. I'd also love to hear your comments about this episode. What's your biggest takeaways? I deeply believe that this world needs more herbalists and plant-centered folks, and I'm so glad that you're here as part of this herbal community. Also, a big round of thanks to the people all over the world who make this podcast happen week to week. Nicole Paul is the project manager who oversees the whole operation from guest outreach to writing show notes to actually uploading each episode and so many other things I don't even know. She really holds this whole thing together. Francesca is our fabulous video and audio editor. She not only makes listening more pleasant, she also adds beauty to the YouTube videos with plant images and video overlays. Tatiana Rusikova is the botanical illustrator who creates gorgeous plant and recipe illustrations for us. I love them. I know that you do too. Christy edits the recipe cards and then Jenny creates them as well as the thumbnail images for YouTube. Michelle is the tech wizard behind the scenes and Karen is our student services coordinator and customer support. For those of you who like to read along, Jennifer is who creates the transcripts each week. Xavier, my handsome French husband, is the cameraman and website IT guy. Thanks to Rising Appalachia for their beautiful song, Resilience. Find more of their music at risingappalachia.com. It takes an herbal village to make it all happen, including you. Okay, you've lasted to the very end of the show, which means you get a gold star and this herbal tidbit. Well, a couple of months ago, I had the pleasure of being down in Austin, Texas at the American Botanical Council Gardens with Gail Engels and Jesus Garcia. And as we were walking around in one corner of the gardens was this large patch of a prickly pear cactus. And as we walked by, I noticed that there was a lot of white clumps on the pads. And so I asked what that was. And Gail reached out and she plucked some up and she crushed it between her fingers, which instantly turned this like bright red pink color. And I knew what it was, cochineal. This is a scale insect that grows on opuntia plants or prickly pear plants. And it makes this substance that's commonly made into a red or pink dye. 
I have a beautiful pink scarf that my friend Emily, who I met in college, made for me when she was in Africa that she made with cochineal. It was really fun to finally see that relationship with the insect and the plant in person.